Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. As we begin the month of September, would you please keep Watchmen on the Wall in your prayers? As a listener-funded ministry, we're only able to bring you this daily program through the generous financial support of individuals like you. Please consider calling today with a financial gift. If you choose to show your support monthly, you'll be one of our faithful friends. The number to call is 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can give online, swrc.com. Thank you, friends, for your prayers and support this month for Watchmen on the Wall. Premillennial, amillennial, and postmillennial views of Bible prophecy are presented by Dr. Kenneth Hill and James Collins as they begin a brand new teaching series today answering the question, what's next? There are three main viewpoints about the end times, the premillennial, the postmillennial, and amillennial. Which one is the correct view? What's next on God's prophetic calendar? Joining me on Watchmen on the Wall to answer those questions and more is the president of Southwest Radio Ministries, Dr. Kenneth Hill. In addition to being our president, Dr. Hill operates a group of five radio stations in Northeast Tennessee. He is also an author. His books include A Classic Christmas, Assault on Liberty, Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation, and Prayers of the Ancients. His latest book, which was just released a couple of weeks ago, is titled What's Next? Major Views of Bible Prophecy, and he's here today to talk with me about it. Dr. Hill, it's great to have you on the program with me today. Well, thank you very, very much, Dr. Collins. I appreciate the fact that I have been invited to be with you and to share this with our listeners. There is much confusion concerning the end times. You have premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism, and it's hard to keep up with all the different viewpoints and what they believe, isn't it? It is. It's extremely difficult to do so. And in fact, not only are there those three viewpoints, there are probably another 23 that we don't know about or don't know much about. The truth is, people like to believe what they like to believe because it's easy. Mm Mm-hmm. And for them to study something and come up with a truth that they can hold on to is a hard thing, but it's a worthwhile thing. It's something that I would encourage everyone to do when it comes to the end times and the end times prophetic study of the Word of God. When we can study that, then we receive a special blessing. And of course, we're told we would there in the book of Revelation, that if we study those words, we're going to have a special blessing, and I expect that to be the case. Well, that's what I like about this book. Now, I know what I believe, and I know what you believe, Dr. Hill, but this book is a non-biased study of eschatology. You don't come down on one side or the other. You just present the facts and the scriptural references that go with those facts as to the main viewpoints. And you write in the preface of the book that the purpose of the book was to help the reader understand how and why godly men disagree on the events leading up to the coming of the Lord. Then you say that the information presented will be unbiased as possible. So tell me again about your approach to writing this book. 
I had the good situation at hand. There was a pastor in our community by the name of Keith Walsworth. And pastor Walsworth had a bug in his bonnet and had for years. He wanted to see something like this book come out. And so he wrote probably 80% or more of this treatise and then came to me and said, I'm not much of an English professor, he said. I don't write things the way I want them to be written, and could you help me? Would you help me do that? And I said, absolutely. And so we put our thoughts together and joined him in the effort. So, you know, I was invited to come join him, and I was delighted to do so. And God, I think, has done a good job with what he wanted to bring through this book. Now, this book is not a long book. It is given so that the reader would not be bored, but the reader would be informed, and that's the very big part of doing it. When we started, the agreement was that it would be as unbiased as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Now, you're pretty biased. I've met you. I've talked to you at length. You think you've got the best woman in the world to be your wife. <laughs> Amen, yeah. You're biased with that. And I've got to tell you, I'm biased with my wife as well. And I think very highly of her. And we should be because they are the loves of our life. Right. And we should have that bias. So bias is not inherently wrong. Bias can be useful and bias is important, but you need to know if you've got it, and you need to know where to lay it down so that you can teach others the truth of the Word of God. And so when I approach teaching last things or eschatology, I approach it from the perspective of either I'm going to give you a broad overview of everything that I know, and I'll show you how to find out for yourself what it's all about. We'll give you references from Scripture and from other texts, and we'll let you do your own research. Or the second way that I've done it is I've written books specifically about the way I think it is, and that is for teaching it to those who want to know more about that specific way that Christ is going to take care of things at the end times. Now, when I do that, I make it clear that I am coming from my perspective and from the very fact that I have that bias. And I let them know what the bias is. Mm -hmm. I used to teach history. And when I would teach history, I always told them it was from the bias of the person or the people or the group that came out the winner in whatever the contest was. If it was the Civil War, I didn't come out on the side of the Confederacy. I came out on the side of the Union. Why? Because that's where you're going to get all your information. It was hard getting information from the Confederacy because they had been defeated. And most everything that they had written about themselves and what they were doing had been ignored. And so I had to go very quickly and deftly and concern myself very much with finding the unusual things if I were going to teach it from the Confederate position. And so that's just all I'm saying. I'm saying here is a 
beautiful treatise. I think this is one of the very best books of its kind and one of the very few books of its kind that we have in the English language. And I think it's a good study. Well, Dr. Hill, you mentioned those who ignore history, and there are some who spiritualize the return of Jesus Christ. They say that that's not really what's going to happen. But now you point out in the book that in most all of the major viewpoints, the doctrine of the literal return of Jesus Christ has always been a fundamental doctrine of the church, correct? That is correct, and we need to understand fully and to not only understand the truth, but we need to adhere to the truth that Jesus Christ is coming again. And it is so important because it is one of the very tenets of faith for all Christians. If you're going to be a Christian and call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to come to grips with his coming again. You have to come to grips with what he said about it. You have to come to grips with how he presented it. And when you do that, then you can come to grips with the hows and the whos and the wheres and the whys and all those things. And that will be something else you build upon once you come to grips with the fact that Christ is coming again. And Christ has not forsaken us. He's not left us behind. He is taking us to be with him. And if that's here in this earth, in the millennial reign of Christ, or if it's in times beyond that, we will be with Christ because he's promised that to us. And I'm excited about that part, too. I can get hung up sometimes, and, and I do. You can ask my wife. I get, up, I get hung up on individual concepts, you know. Right. And I have to be very careful, or I will get wrapped up in it, and I'll be of no use uh, in the teaching of God's Word. Well, I want to be useful in teaching God's Word so folks will come to not only faith in Christ, but will come faithfully to Christ all through their lives. So they're not giving up somewhere along the way, but they're actually taking their time to be with the Lord. Now, the Apostle John, in his first epistle, wrote this in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That is, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, that is, like Christ. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And there is John writing to us and telling us that we may not know what we're going to look like or how we're going to be put together or all the things about the very end times, but Christ take care of it because he loves us so much. And we will be as Christ. 
so we purify ourselves because Christ himself is pure, and then that allows us to be closer to Christ quicker because we're ready for him. You know, I've watched people that have denied the second coming of Christ, and they've done it because they've become willingly ignorant of the truth of Scripture. Now, we're supposed to be studying Scripture. We're supposed to be believing Scripture. So don't allow any teacher, any teacher here at Southwest, any teacher you hear on radio or television anywhere else, don't allow any teacher of the Bible to dissuade you from the very, very truth that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he has announced that, and he continues to announce that through his word and through his preachers, and we will be with Christ for eternity. Now, I don't know if that makes your heart beat a little faster and have a a little stronger anticipation in your mind about the coming of Christ, but for me it helps me tremendously. Amen. I'm excited about seeing the Lord, and I'm excited about being with Him. What does that mean to you, James, as you think about it, and you know that you're going to be with the one who came here, gave himself for you, and saved you from all of this mess. Well, Dr. Hill, Jesus is my best friend, and I am excited to spend all eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, when we talk about the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church and being with the Lord someday, we're reminded, as you said there, that we will be like him. We will have those glorified bodies. And for me, I've been in a few, (laughs) shall we say, a few fender benders, I guess would be a nice way to say it. I was in the military and was blown up a couple of times. I have chronic pain that I suffer from, and I know that for me, I'm excited about the day when (laughs) there'll be no more arthritis, bursitis, no more aches, no more pains, and we'll be with the Lord forever. Won't that be glorious, Dr. Hill? Yes, yes, it will. I often just simply reflect upon the fact that when we are with Christ, we shall be like he is. Mm -hmm. And he was perfect. Yes. He never gave up perfection, you know. He was perfect. And Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Savior, our soon-coming King, is going to have us near him. And he's going to, as it were, hold us up against himself and just give us a big hug, a big squeeze. We're going to enjoy being with our Lord and Savior. I'm excited about that very thing. And, you know, when we start thinking about the coming of Christ, we have to understand that Scripture has promised this time and again. In the second chapter of this little book, What's Next?, we spend a great deal of verbiage talking about the very fact of his coming again and the fact that it is absolutely true. And this is the thing that I think all of us have got to realize. No matter what we believe about how, when, the time he's coming and all of that, no matter what we believe about that, the truth is that he's coming. And that is a truth 
that cannot be forgotten. We have got to make sure that our prayer to God is, Lord, help us to understand that you are coming again. Help us to understand that we're going to be with you. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, John the Revelator said, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, yes. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Absolutely. And it's amazingly minute, the verbiage that God puts in the Word of God about our seeing him and being with him in the last time of his coming. When he's coming again, the Word is passed out to everyone. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be blessed by the very thing of this second coming. He'll come and get you. And everything will be perfect from that time forward. Wow. <laughs> Let me read a verse and quickly have you comment on it. The Apostle Peter wrote in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So, Dr. Hill, when people say, you Christians have been saying for 2,000 years that Jesus is coming back, aren't they actually fulfilling Bible prophecy? Yes, they are. And every time that we confront the confounded nature of questioning the return of Christ, we make more sure that return. It is the very truth that because people question whether Christ is coming or when he's coming, that creates for us the opportunity to have our faith increased because he has promised to be here with us. He is coming again. And that is important for us to know so that we don't create within our own hearts any doubt. But we believe the truth. Jesus Christ is coming again and coming again soon. Today we're featuring Dr. Kenneth Hill's book, What's Next? What's Next? Major Views of Bible Prophecy. This book offers a non-biased study of eschatology, the study of the end times. In What's Next, Dr. Kenneth Hill compares different views on Bible prophecy. Premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. Make sure you order What's Next for your Sunday school or small group or your homeschool curriculum for Bible class. Order What's Next today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order this outstanding book online, swrc.com. And now, here's Larry Stamm to continue his series on how to have effective evangelism. (music) 
Shalom, friends. Larry Stam here. So glad you're joining us as we continue our series, Serving in His Court, Biblical Principles for Personal Evangelism from the Heart of a Coach. Last time, we spoke about what it means to be successful in our witnessing endeavor. What is success in witnessing? We mentioned Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, better known today as Crew. Bill Bright wrote, Success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Very important. Success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. We also, in our last lesson, introduced three foundational principles for evangelism that we are going to begin unpacking in today's teaching. First, evangelism is a process, it's a hard issue, and it's a team thing. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that evangelism is a process. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 and then 18 through 23 where Jesus explains the parable. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3, the word of God says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now drop down to verse 18 of Matthew 13. Jesus will now explain the parable. Verse 18, Matthew 13, the word of God says, Hear ye, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when the tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received seed into good ground is he that hears the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. In this parable, Jesus is speaking about the sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower and the seed are constant. The sower represents an individual, any person who sows the seed, which in this parable is the word of God. The sower and the seed, friends, are constants. The variable is the soil, which represents the human heart. And that's the variable. You and I do not know the condition of the human heart, the condition of the soil. Only the Lord himself knows the true condition 
of a human heart. It's interesting to note as you think about your witnessing efforts and I think about mine, be encouraged to know that a hard heart today does not necessarily mean a hard heart tomorrow. Did you get that? A hard heart today does not necessarily mean a hard heart tomorrow. By the way, the first several times people tried to share Jesus Christ with me when I was in college, I wanted nothing of it. I did not want to hear about their Jesus. I was Jewish in my mind. Jesus was not for us, and he certainly was not for me. My heart was hard, friends. And now I'm speaking to you over the airwaves, and I call Jesus Messiah, Savior, Lord, and God. How do you explain that? Well, it's supernatural. It's a supernatural work of God. And God has the singular ability to take the person who is hard and cold and obstinate toward the things of God and the gospel message and change that heart and soften it and bring them to a place where they love and serve and follow Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing to know. But in this parable, you and I are called to be faithful sowers of the gospel seed. So remember, be faithful. Don't be so concerned about the condition of the heart. Entrust God and implore God to change the heart. The other ways I want to share with you that we can sow evangelistically, I've mentioned before. In the parable of the soils that we're reading here in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is speaking specifically about sowing gospel seed, which is specifically the Word of God. But the way we also sow and water in our evangelistic efforts are through prayer and good works. Prayer and good works. Those are also ways to sow evangelistically in a broader sense. I'll say this about prayer as we close in regards to sowing. Evangelism should start on our knees. Did you get that? Evangelism should start on our knees. In fact, if you've got a pen or pencil, write this down. This is a principle for prayer and evangelism. Go to God on behalf of people before you go to people on behalf of God. Go to God on behalf of people before you go to people on behalf of God. Prayer is a way that we sow in the evangelistic effort. Another way that we sow is good works. Sometimes you've heard the pithy catchphrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If given the opportunity, friend, demonstrate God's love in tangible ways among those you're seeking to reach with the gospel. It will have a positive impact upon your words. And sometimes good works provide goodwill that lead to good platforms for the good news. Well, friends, I hope this lesson on the parable of the soils has been an encouragement to you. Next time, we're going to talk about the fact that evangelism is a heart issue. And until next time, friends, the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Shalom. Today, we're featuring Dr. Kenneth Hill's book entitled, What's Next? Major Views of Bible Prophecy. This book offers a non-biased study of eschatology. Order What's Next for your Sunday school or for your small group. Or you can order What's Next as homeschool curriculum for Bible class. Order What's Next today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online swrc.com. 
Tomorrow, Dr. Hill will continue his look at the major views of Bible prophecy. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Thank you.